How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to a special edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, a Wednesday edition. You have to have a special guest in order to have a special Irish Illustrated Insider on Wednesday. And we uh, absolutely have that. Uh, you know, just shy of 16 years as Nordame's vice president and director of athletics, uh, Jack Swarbrick will officially step down on March 25th to be replaced by Pete Bavacqua. Jack, good to see you. Welcome. Thanks. Great to see you guys. I'm used to seeing you standing outside a building giving your your instant analysis of oh. something. <laughs> you ever actually stop and listen to that, or you just figure I'm just disregard it and keep on walking. I, I well, I, I, I listen to it on my computer. I always want to know what happened. I guess. We we once had Brian Kelly join us in instant analysis. That's been the only celebrity guest joining. So you're welcome to you're welcome to follow suit. That of course is uh, Tim O'Malley. It's a Tim and Tim show here with with Jack Sporbrick, and we want to we want to touch on several subjects. We've got about forty five minutes or so, and and we certainly want to go over the list of accomplishments which I think are many. Uh, I have a few of my own favorites beyond the brick and mortar ones of, uh, of the campus crossroads project, et cetera. But uh, I, I think, you know, for the interest of our listeners, I, I, we want to get into talking about present day um, college athletics, present day Notre Dame's position within college athletics. And it's a, it's a tricky proposition these days. There's no doubt about it, Jack. Where is, as you hand the baton to Pete Bavacqua, where is intercollegiate athletics headed? Oh, a nice, narrow first question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's. It, it, I think we're going to be unsettled for a period of time. I don't, I don't think we're on the verge of getting something resolved with Congress. Um, we're probably close to getting resolution on the open CFP matters, which will be helpful. But, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of in a period of uh, um, retreat, if you will. I mean, you know, the NCAA is saying we're not going to enforce any transfer rules. We're not going to try and enforce any rules regarding collectives and inducements um you, you know it's very unsettled i think we've we've got to get to more certainty uh than we have right now but i think it's going to take time i did everything changed when the pandemic hit i mean everything has been different since then you're a smart man you're a well-educated man how much of that could you have anticipated you may have anticipated you know, some level of NIL at some point. I don't know about transfer portal. <laughs> if you anticipate the pandemic, you're way ahead of all of us. Yeah, no, I assure you, we didn't. We didn't anticipate the pandemic. Um, 
but it's it, it is interesting to reflect back on that right and all the all the things you had to try and figure out during it i mean what what became evident even before then was the nca's approach ensured that they would lose every antitrust lawsuit um and, and and so you could see those sort of lined up like planes at O'Hare and and sort of say to yourself, okay, you know, name, image, and likeness is first, and then cost of attendance, full cost of attendance, uh, or full cost of attendance, then, then NIL, uh, then the trend, you know, anything that restricted, there was an agreement among schools to restrict benefits or opportunities for student athletes was going to be declared illegal. And so in that regard, I did have a sense we were, we were headed for a version of what we're experiencing now. I, I, I was a little more optimistic about perhaps getting some help from Congress before now that might, might help shape the future. Um, I still think that's necessary and will probably happen, but it's going to take a lot longer than I thought. Jack is an early proponent of true NIL. Did you see this when, when I, as the toothpaste comes out the tube, as they say, and everything rolling downhill? Did did you see it hitting this peak? I mean, I don't think it's hit its peak, of course, but somewhere around the 2022 season, all of a sudden it was nothing close to true NIL. I remember trying to interview a couple Irish players and Michael Mayer in 2021 and saying, you know, yeah, I'm open to NIL opportunities. And I can't imagine a player not being open to NIL opportunities nowadays. But did you see this where we have where we are now? And, and it's as I said, it's not stopping here. Did you did you see this ever getting this bad? I I, I saw and appreciated the risk that when we approved NIL there would be bogus NIL deals, you know, and there, there was money under the table before we approved NIL and right. there was still going to be that. I never saw the collectives coming. Um, and, and that it's not just the money. It's the, um, it, it's the role some collectives play in decision-making. And in, and in what what's happening in athletic departments, um, that that really shocks me. How, how can you adhere to true NIL in an era where most are not going to come close to adhering to true NIL? Well, we're never gonna we're never gonna get that yeah. resolved now because we we got to this point. I mean, if if we require full disclosure, and so you gotta you gotta reveal every NIL deal they'll they'll just be papered transactions they'll be you know i don't think it'll change the amount of money or the flow of it it'll it'll, it'll require a little more creativity but you know the nca is never going to be in a position to go in and say oh this deal doesn't make market sense right you right. disclose the deal we see it but no one should get paid that much for a 30 minute autograph session Again, legally, they're not they're not going to be able to support that. Yeah, Jack, I think you were I think you were the first one, at least that I heard use the the phrase acquisition fees, and that's that's when we knew that things were starting to get out of control. 
uh, Notre Dame has come a long way with its NIL and uh, what the fu what fund has done. How has Notre Dame? How is Notre Dame's NIL different uh, in, in terms of how you guys look at of uh, education and student life as a part of the the uh, the college experience? Well, we hope it doesn't interfere with student life. I mean, those the things we value in that regard. We still value the way we recruit and stress those things we still do. You know, we, we set some ground rules for NIL at Notre Dame. First and foremost, it's gotta be a transaction. It's gotta be, it, the transaction can't be that you come to Notre Dame um, or that you stay at Notre Dame. There's gotta be something you do um, that we help organize um, oftentimes, but, there's, there's, there's gotta be a real exchange of value. And as, and as long as we do that, um, I think we can become, we, we can be comfortable that we're doing it the Notre Dame way, but also compete with our competitors nationally. You mentioned that, that, I mean, it's clear the NSA isn't going to, to do anything to kind of quote, stem the tide with the transfer portal, athletes as employees is that that's is that an inevitable moving forward i don't uh, what, what's inevitable is going to be a series of rulings that say they're employees there's an nlrb case involving usc that i'm sure will result in usc's student athletes being declared employees there's a federal case in the third circuit in pennsylvania that'll probably declare student athletes employees those legal processes will take time with appeals and other things. But my sense from my time on Capitol Hill um, is that this is the one issue that there seems to be some consensus with the people I talk to about is we don't want them to be employees. And, and so I, I think there'll be a sense from these various cases that, oh, my God, they are employees. Everybody's going to make them employees. I think at the end of the day, I still believe we'll we'll avoid that result globally. We're going to have a weird situation where some number of schools will have been forced by an administrative or judicial body to classify those employees playing schools who student athletes aren't employees. So it's a it's it, it's it's a weird inconsistency that you really can't have in a in a competitive league, right? You all got to play by the same rules. Jack, I think for Notre Dame fans, they they generally think of NIL with football, um, and it's obviously more of the money making sports where it, where it comes into play. How does Notre Dame combat schools that can focus on someone like Marcus Burton or Hannah Hidalgo in a money making basketball sport, men and women's, where they they will be offered a a massive NIL deal to go to a for lack of a better word, a basketball first men's school or something along those lines. I, I know you're prepared for it and you have any opportunities for the likes of for Joe Alt, who just left or for or for Kyle Hamilton, who had, of course, created his own NIL opportunity. How do you combat that in other sports where I, I think most Notre Dame fans don't think of those sports as one where you could lose a player to NIL poaching? Yeah, you, you, you never can fully, right? I mean, there are going to be some crazy offers that we're just not prepared to go there and be part of it. But I'll tell you, we've had some of our student athletes get some crazy offers in the past 12 months. And by and large, they've chosen to stay here. You know, they've, you know, 
we try and create more opportunities for them, mm-hmm. um, but we're never going to get to some of what being offered. But you hope they see the additional value in being at this place. And and generally, the way we recruit, you, you have a foundation of that, right? I mean, they 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 picked us during a process where if NIL was their only factor, they wouldn't come here. Um, but you know. It's not, I'm not suggesting they're different to that, but, you know, they care about other stuff as well. I was fascinated a year ago. They surveyed all the kids at the Under Armour All-American game, the football game, and asked them what the number one factor was in their decision. And over 80% said, who's going to get me to the NFL? Not NIL. Um, and so it's things like that you got to be attentive to. I mean, we want... We want the four for 40 to proposition to be important, but we're very focused on being able to demonstrate that we have the assets and approach available to get you to the NFL. Um, just as we may want to get you to major league baseball or the NBA or the WNBA. Jack as as uh, Marcus Freeman heads into his third year as head coach and in a recent I guess, clarification of the five plus seven and how the playoff format will be as you expand to 12 teams, which of course you were at the forefront of, of promoting that uh, as you, again, as you hand the baton to Pete Bavacqua, as I said a minute ago, you must feel pretty good about the direction that Marcus Freeman has taken his team, both in terms of recruiting, what, uh, what he was able to do and what Notre Dame was able to do uh, in the grad transfer portal. As we look at this team heading into 2024, it's clearly a preseason top 10. And I think you could possibly make an argument once everything is the dust settles after spring, uh, that it's a top five team going in. Uh, just what are your thoughts on how Marcus has progressed as, as a head coach and what you see ahead with Notre Dame football with him at the, at the helm of it. I, I, I almost can't begin to answer that because it works on so many fronts. I have more confidence in Marcus today than the day I hired him. Um, he, he's an unusual person in the sense that you have a very positive perception of him. And the closer you get, the better it gets. Um, he's just, he's he's got all the ingredients. Um, and he's a tireless worker. He cares desperately about this place and what it represents. And, you know, people want to work with them and for them. Um, we've seen that in our coaches, you know, in, in hiring, hiring coaches. Um, but also, you know, players view him as somebody they'd like to play, play for. There was always going to be a learning curve. You take any assistant coach, you make him a head coach, it's going to be some learning curve. I think he's mastered it really well. I mean, you know, some... Some critics have focused on, you know, the things that maybe we didn't get right. Um, but I tell you what, we've learned from every one of them and moved on really quickly. Yeah, you know, it was just a year ago when there was a, a, a whole bunch of commotion about the the offensive coordinator that you did not hire. Here we are a year later. Al Golden is locked up to a, a, an extension that, as far as we know, most coordinators in the country don't get. Uh, Mike Denbrock as well. I think everybody, everybody that's been around, you know, this is this is my third term with with Mike Denbrock 
uh, as a coach with, with me reporting, but the foundation of that coaching staff, you remember everybody panicked after the Stanford game when the, when the wide receiver coach was, was let go. And Mike Brown is an even more accomplished wide receiver coach. If you could just comment on solidifying the coaching staff, and that's always going to be fluid every, every year there's going to be, uh, and you did lose uh, Chris O'Leary. There are going to be guys that will, will come and go, but the foundation of that right now is stronger than it's, uh, than it's been. Yeah, first of all, let me say clearly and publicly, the hockey game was my idea. Um, so everybody understands that. Um, I, I, I was dumbfounded by the controversy it produced, but whatever. Um, it was my idea. Um, it would be indelicate for me to say which hockey game are you speaking of? So I think we'll have that. There's a- I, think, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's pretty clear. I think the setup to the question made it, yes. made it clear which <laughs> hockey game. Um, yeah, it's, um, it has a lot to do with Marcus, you know, and the, the culture and environment he's created and wanting to work with him. Um, has a lot to do, frankly, in this environment with getting to work with our student athletes. You know, it's just easier. You know, if you're at a school and several of our competitors next year will be in this category where you're bringing in 40 transfers. That's, that's not a great coaching situation. If you've got continuity in the people you're working with on staff and the student athletes you're coaching, and you have three or four years to develop them, that's what every coach wants. So to be clear, our obligation is to get our assistant coaches to be where they want to go. If they want to be head coaches, I'm trying to get them to be head coaches somewhere. But I never want to lose a coach for a parallel opportunity. And right now in football, we got an environment going where I don't see that happening ever. What you did, uh, Go ahead, Tim. When you um, – we talked to Mike Denbrock last week. I mean, just the – just getting a guy back like that, a guy that you want to talk about a guy that I know, you know, this, we know it too. A, a guy that understands Notre Dame and wants to be at Notre Dame, just getting a, a having a, a, a person like that and a person like Al Golden in, in those two spots is about as sound and solidified as those two positions can possibly be. Yeah. I couldn't be happier. Both were really important to me. Um, you know, in those two positions, you want to surround Mar- uh, Marcus with veterans. It's, you know, that's, you want to surround a young head coach with guys who've been around and, you know, Al been a head coach. Uh, Mike has seen so much and and that's just a, a, a great luxury uh, to have them, but they get this place. Um, and, you know, I, I, can't tell you neither will ever depart, but they won't. They won't depart for something sort of random. Um, they 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 really value being here, and that's what you want with your assistant coaches. And and this is I'm not trying to offend anybody from the past, but this is the best football staff in my 16 years. Um, as in the aggregate, it's really good. Jack, I think. 
we could kind of one hand your first 10 years, how many impact transfers came to Notre Dame's football program, not, not basketball, but the football program. Right. How did you help Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman kind of through this new era where you absolutely had at least had to find graduate transfers coming in. And we of course have asked many people and just associate with the university as a whole, that it's easier for a freshman to transfer and then, and then any other level other than a graduate student. How, how did that process grow at Notre Dame? Because now the graduate student transfers are an integral part of the team last year, particularly. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you work with your colleagues here and, and, you know, help them understand what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, everybody at this university wants each other to be successful. We have the, the unquestionably the best faculty athletic rep in America, and Trisha Balia, and and Trisha's work with deans and associate deans and, uh, and others is invaluable in, in all of this. But you know, it's understanding. Okay, what as a department, what are your concerns? Right, what are the issues? Okay, you've got a rule that says you won't take anybody unless they have X, Y, and Z. Help us understand that. It'll help us know who we can seek as a transfer. So it's just been better better communication and understanding each other's position. The real key was getting decisions made quicker. As, as, as much as it was about admitting people, it was about knowing sooner rather than later whether they could be admitted, right? Because... We we lost some people because we just couldn't get them an answer. They could be paid for that answer elsewhere as well. It makes it much tougher, I'm sure. That's well, in a lot of other places, the uh, the admissions decisions being made by the head coach. So you 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 can get the you can get the answer pretty quickly. Yeah. With, with Jack, with Pete Bavakwa taking over, I'm going to ask you two questions, and maybe you don't ever have to answer again. Uh, one is. <laughs> Marcus Freeman's extension. Can you speak to that? Is that is there an extension in the works? No. Uh, Let me be clear. I hope Marcus Freeman is here for decades. But to directly answer your question, no. Don't generally head coaches want that 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 fifth year um, him being signed through five years uh, because that is the the amount of time that many times a, a student athlete uh, is at Notre Dame. Well, I would expect Pete to be, you know, taking it on at the end of the next season. Um, we sort of view that as the natural, you know, one way to look at it is the way you've articulated. The other way to look at it is, you know, with a first time coach, it's good to get three years in and have a, have a bigger, a, a broader picture. But yeah, I, Listen, there's nobody here who doesn't want Marcus at Notre Dame for as long as he wants to be at Notre Dame. And so Pete will be turning to that after the season. Right. And to be clear, he signed a six-year. You, you yeah, it was six years. With him. Right, right. The other question is the, the, the Goog renovation. I'm sure you're ready to put that one behind you. Um, yeah. When does, uh, that, when, 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 does, when does that start? When do they break ground for that? I am very optimistic that we'll be coming out of the ground this year. Jackson, I the one that's been putting words in your mouth uh, since NIL started. I wanted to ask you this question. Notre Dame's graduation rates have always been synonymous with the football program and, of course, the rest of the sports programs, but football in particular here. Does the new 
nothing to do with NIL, but does the fact that there's such freedom of transfer, freedom of and enticements for transfer, how do you how do you maintain Notre Dame's legacy of graduation rates in a transient college football world? Well, first of all, the entire market is dealing with that, right? So the measure is relative. Um, and I still think we'll be at the top of that. But the other is it's amazing to see how many, it's not amazing, it's what it should be, it's what we expect, but how many of our student athletes will defer leaving until they have the degree, right? I mean, most of our transfers out, the majority of our transfers out have their degree when they leave. Marcus has said it, and I feel the same way. We're really disappointed when someone transfers and they're you know, they got two years in. They they could get their degree in another year and a half. Um, that that those are the hard ones for us, but they remain pretty rare. So, you know, sometimes somebody leaves with our encouragement. Um, it's it, for whatever reason, it's not working out. So not all transfers are situations where, you know, it's it's just you know it's a loss that we're devastated by it. Some are good for the person and good for the program. Is there a situation in now in the modern era with this? I guess NIL keeps coming back to NIL, but where a one-year scholarship is something to embrace as opposed to a four-year scholarship? Because as you said, not everything works out for every player that would come to Notre Dame or every student athlete that comes to Notre Dame. Yeah, I hope not. Certainly not here. I mean, again, it's this notion we're committed to you. We're going to... if. If you do what we ask you to do, you'll get your degree, right? And and so I want to reflect, show that commitment in the four year, in the four year scholarship. Uh, and so I, I hope that never changes. Jack, there's there's so much to cover here with you. I'm 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 going to jump around a little bit, kind of back to some of the things we were discussing here previously. But you know, conferences are. West West Coast teams are playing it, you know, in Miami on a Wednesday night in February at nine o'clock at night. The conferences have all split up. Why couldn't football have been separated from the rest of the sport so that, you know, UCLA wasn't flying to Miami uh, during the week? I mean, Chip Kelly uh, actually was pretty eloquent in, in talking about this. What? Was that ever a possibility? Is that ever a possibility where uh, geographically we we come to a more sensible approach, at least as it relates to football? Oh, you know, I, I, I could see that happening someday, but not necessarily for travel-related reasons, right? For Just for the other things we've been talking about become so different from the dynamic for the rest of the student athletes that it separates out. I hope that doesn't happen, but I could, I could see it happening. Um, listen, listen, we, we have done ourselves no favors through realignment. I, I don't, it hasn't been a proud chapter in college athletics. It's been driven by media um, and media has enormous influence. And, and you know, what we have to do now, what we have an obligation to do is be more creative scheduling wise. Try and be really careful about this. I mean, my own view is in some of our Olympic sports, 
why do we need regular season conference competition, right? Play in your region and come participate in the conference championship tournament. But I, I don't, I'm not sure we need, you know, we need it in basketball and some of the other television heavy sports, but some of the others, I mean, you know, when when we have to fly our athletes to some of the further away ACC cities for a weekend, you know, in baseball or softball, they're probably getting back at 4.30 or 5 in the morning on Sunday, right? Now, Monday morning. It's not good for them, you know. So can we can we get take a more regional approach? I recognize we're not there right now. You know, we were very, uh, Father John and I, were very engaged in fighting for Stanford and Cal. But just because we thought the notion of those two schools being orphaned by this process should be unacceptable. Two great American academic institutions who have spectacular programs in several sports. I mean, 37 Olympic medals in the last Olympics between the two schools. Um, we thought We thought it was important to, that they have a high-level competitive home, but we recognize the travel challenges that come with it. They won't be travel challenges for the other schools in the ACC. You'll go out to play basketball once every other year at most, and most of us make a West Coast trip anyway for for other purposes. So, but but it it is an extra burden for Stanford, Cal, and and SMU. And, and Jack is the only AD that that really helped craft the the twelve team playoff that is set up now. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with the uh, as we go into a new era of of playoff college football? I'm certainly satisfied with the model we developed, and the, the four of us, you know, spent eighteen months on it, and then. There was an 18 month, another 18 months trying to get it adopted. So, you know, we were very, we were very vested in it. Um, you know, I, I, my, my hope would have been that we'd let it play out for a while and see how it does and how it works. Obviously, as you've read, there are a lot of discussions going on already about modifying it after the first two years. Um, you know, we're participating in those and I hope we can get to as positive a result as we had with the 12 team playoff. It follows the academic calendar better than I thought it could of uh, adding four football games. I know only two teams add four football games, but adding two, three football games for many teams um, is the academic calendar something that can continue to follow if it expands. Is that, is that even, is that brought up at meetings at all? I know starting oh, yeah. on, starting on the 21st of course your your most schools are into past final exams and then you get into your your long winter break now when we worked on it um we actually identified the end of semester and start of second semester or quarter date for every school every fbs school and we, you know we had we had that up on the wall to help us try and think about it so it is really important um you know it's easier for football there they don't miss much class, um, but but we we absolutely take it into account. the The challenge here, the fundamental challenge, and I've spoken about it before, is we we've got to figure out a way to start the playoffs in the second week in December, not the third week. 
because the third week is the first week in which the NFL can play on Saturday. And, um, you know, people watch that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess the only thing I don't want to go up with up against less than the NFL is Taylor Swift, but, um, <laughs> You know, it's not the ideal way to start your playoff, your new playoff, is to be up against NFL games. So somewhere, somewhere, somewhere along the line, we got to shift it back. That's not easy. You got the conference championships. You got the challenges of sliding the regular season back because of summer school schedules and when school starts. But if if we're going to go in December, we we got to figure out a way to get back to that week. It's unrealistic to think conferences would give up a conference championship money for bringing that back one week just to, because it does, it does only involve a few teams that would be playing that week, right? As at this point, it would only involve one team from their conference, I guess. You know, I, I, I won't speak for any conference, but I don't think ultimately it's unrealistic because um, in a 12 team playoff, um, you know, the best schools of the conferences are 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 going to be resistant to playing the championship game, right? I mean, I'm ranked number one in the country, you know. Why do I want to go play an incredibly tough opponent? If, if your answer is, well, you get the bye, you know, I think their response is, well, if I don't play the championship game and I don't get the bye, I get to host the first round against a lesser opponent. I'm playing the same number of games. Um, so there's going to be pressure on the championship games over time. So Jack, um, on March 25th, I believe that's the date, right? That Pete Bavacqua officially takes over for you. It is. Uh, I, I voted for April 1st, but my, <laughs> you know, the, the, my boss didn't think that was a good date. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think most of us in the media have had, had an opportunity to visit with him a little bit, whether it's on the sideline before a game, on the road, or or something along those lines. And you were you were a big proponent of him being your successor. Can you give us? And I know you've talked about it a little bit, but for for our listeners, give us an idea why you think that Pete Bavacqua is the guy to replace you, and what does he bring? We get this asked a lot of us. What does he bring to the table that Jack Swarbrick didn't? Well, um, you know, a lot of it we share. He's, um, you know, since you guys love to describe me as aloof in written pieces, um, he's he's more approachable than than <laughs> than I am typically perceived as being. Um, but other than that, you know, we both love this place. He has an incredible passion for it. To think about it, leaving the chairmanship of NBC Sports to take an AD job. I mean, it's all about his love for this institution. He is incredibly well-wired in the sports industry, unbelievably, between his role and his leadership in golf and then with a broadcast network. there's there There aren't any sports personalities he hasn't been involved with. That will benefit Notre Dame a lot. It's really smart. Um, and so I think he's, I think he's going to do a fantastic job. Jack, are you aloof or did you just work harder than any man I've ever known in the last 16 years of my life? Yeah. I, you know, I, I hope it's the latter, but, uh, <laughs> whatever, it's okay. <laughs> Dick, we have a, 
often wonder this, and you mentioned the media. Uh, how do you view our jobs now compared to when you started in 2008? Have you ever seen it? Or do you see it drastically differently now than it used to be? And I, maybe not media in general, but the media you would have to work with or, or know about on a on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah, I think your job's much harder, much harder. And I've I've, I've always tried to be mindful of that, right? First of all, the timetable has accelerated so much, right? You're not you're not turning something into copy the next morning. I mean, it's you gotta you gotta get get it out there and right away. And that's that's unique pressure. Um just the entire emergence of social media to the degree it is now. Um, you know, it, it's indifferent to accuracy. And <laughs> And and I do everything I can to try and make people aware of the distinction between the people in the industry like you who care about getting it right, who will who will call and ask, hey, we're gonna we're gonna run this and and give us an opportunity to say no, that's not right, or you know, I'm not gonna confirm it, but okay, or whatever. Um and you know. Stuff gets written and it becomes by, by people who have no journalistic chops. Um, it becomes the truth. And that's so frustrating um, because if we try and respond to all that inaccuracy, uh, it, it, it's not helpful. It extends the story. And if we don't respond to something, people say, oh, it must be accurate. But it's, it, it's, it, it's crazy how much gets accepted. Um, because somebody sitting in their basement, uh, posted it as coming from a reliable source inside the Goog or, or, or whatever it is, right. It's really harmful to the program, but there's nothing we can do about it. And, and for those, and I want to stress for people like you who do it right, makes your job much harder. Well, it really, <laughs> it really does Jack, because when those inaccuracies are out there we have to work we we have to we have to explain why that's an inaccuracy and i you know i come from you know when i got into the business in the early 80s we put out 20 newspapers a year no 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 uh social media no internet can you 20 papers a year i was i was living on easy street back then <laughs> um and and it it, it it's a day to day there's never a day off. Uh, Decembers are about to change. We used to think when we were flying back from the West Coast after the last uh, regular season game that, okay, well, hey, we're going to get a lull here in December, or you're coming back from a bowl game and, okay, January, everything's going to settle down. Now you got coaching changes and players coming and going, and it's insane. I look, as I always say, we're not digging ditches here. We're, no. we're, we're doing something that we love to do, but it has changed. You're absolutely right. And, and the need to chase down non-stories on a Friday night in February, when you think that you're going to have a night out with your, your loved ones, um, it's, it's pretty crazy, but we feel your pain in a different way, but we, yeah. feel, we feel your pain with that. Well, and, and, and just to, to reinforce that, if you ask your wife, when, if you ask my wife, when we take summer vacation, her answer will be during conference realignment. <laughs> Virtually every vacation 
has been interrupted by conference realignment. <laughs> it's the damnedest thing. Uh, it's like some smoke signal goes up. and It, it must be happening frequently. Hey, I did, Jack, and I, I was serious when I said at the top that we do want to, I, I mean, I want to reflect on the accomplishments because I think, unfortunately, athletic directors, especially athletic directors of Notre Dame, to a large segment of the fans, they are measured simply by how many national championships you win in football during your during your tenure. And um, you didn't have that opportunity. But I think those of us that look at this sensibly and realize it's more than just winning national championships, that you've done an incredible job during the 16 years of accomplishments at Notre Dame from the campus crossroads project to I know you're very proud of what you what you were able to create create from scratch really right fighting Irish media uh one of my favorites was the entry into the ACC because I didn't with the Big East crumbling I didn't I didn't know that that was even a possibility and I thought that that was a fantastic accomplishment what has happened with Notre Dame Olympic sports the rise of that um as a baseball alum, thank you for hiring Link Jarrett. Thank you for hiring Sean Stifler. I think Sean's going to do a great job too. But, you know, and Tim and I were talking about before we went on the air, Under Armour, that's, you know, that's panned now because of some of the issues with Under Armour. But when you signed the contract with the initial contract with them, that was absolutely groundbreaking. What you've done with hockey, moving them into the Big Ten, your participation uh, in, in pulling together a 12-team playoff. Your handling of the pandemic, what would have happened to the ACC without Jack Swarbrick in the pandemic when the pandemic started? Tim, to interject, I had someone mention to me on a Southern sports radio show, what would have happened to college football in 2020 if not for Notre Dame saying they were going to play? That's why I go back to the pandemic and, and Jack's role in it quite often. Well, thank you. First of all, uh, let me say, I absolutely um, subscribe to the uh, proposition that my performance should first and foremost be evaluated on whether we won a football national championship. That's the job here, right? And uh, I, I came here in 08 with that as a goal, and um, we haven't gotten over the hump. And, you know, you don't make excuses. You you have to you have to get the program there. We didn't do it. I feel great about where the program is. I mean, I think it's foundationally it's in the best spot it's been in my entire time. And so I think the future is bright. The challenges of winning the national championship have gotten a lot harder. Um, and and while I'm making no excuse for not having led us to one, I hope the fans also realize, it's not the old days. Um, it's it's a it's a different environment to try and win a win a national championship. So yeah, I I I absolutely subscribe to that. The pandemic one is an interesting one because I don't think college football gets played uh, without our decision. Um, you know, the Big Ten and Pac-12 had made their decision. The other three conferences sort of said, if any one of us doesn't play, we won't play. Um, and I think the ACC was dis- enough members of the ACC were disinclined to play that. Uh, but for our decision, it, it probably they would not have played. That would have closed down the season. 
had a reporter call me during that and say, you know, I'm going to ask you if what you think is going to happen with the football season. But I want you to know that in advance of calling you, I called 11 other ADs and they all said it depends on what Notre Dame does. Um, you know, sort of a cool place to be. But when Father John decided to keep school open and bring students back on campus, which was incredibly unpopular in the academic world, that was that was my answer to the question, right? Okay, we're going to have school. We're going to sit in classrooms. We're going to play sports. It's part of it's part of Notre Dame, and so we did. We learned a ton from doing it, and of course, we're able to keep our student athletes safe. But yeah, that that was memorable. I'm glad you mentioned fighting Irish media because, um, you know, I, I think people don't quite understand how important that has been. Uh, to Notre Dame, we had nothing uh, when I first started here with regard to digital capabilities. And um, in the in the environment we just talked about, the media environment we just talked about, we have to be able to tell our own story. And uh, I think we do it spectacularly well. I mean, the you know the uh, um. The jersey reveals we've done, the last two jersey reveals, you know, have drawn extraordinary audiences, the insights we've given you to players and coaches. So, yeah, that that's an important one. And then not to filibuster here, but the, the, the next one I'd mention is changing the perception of athletic venues. It's not just that Compton is a great varsity hockey arena. It's that we moved it out onto a main street with ample parking, built a second rink of ice and created a public asset. The amount of youth skating, youth hockey programs that goes on in there is unbelievable. It's a great economic engine for this for the, the region. And, and, and that's what athletic facilities should be. Crossroads is a campus example of that, right? I mean, heck, in the middle of campus, we got this massive structure that's used eight times a year. Okay, how can we fix that? How can we make it something that the entire community can use? So that philosophy has really driven our facility development, and I'm really proud of that. And I don't think Notre Dame, in in recent days, this old cliche, which needs to be buried about Notre Dame football relevance, it, it that phrase continues to come up. It continues to be ridiculous. Notre Dame is... 73 and 17 in their last 90 football games. They're one of eight teams to have made the college football playoff twice. Northern football is as is more relevant than it's than it's been since you took over 16 years ago. And so that's a testament to you. And um as as the three of us all fellow alums on behalf of, of Tim O'Malley and myself, uh we respect and and, and appreciate what you've done for Alma Mater. Yeah, thank you. You know, I I love it when people attack our relevance because you don't talk about the relevance of somebody who's not relevant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, I think that's you, what Manti said, right? When he got yeah, yesterday. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 the truth. I mean, I've always embraced it. There was a period of time there where you know, the ACC couldn't have media day without one of its coaches complaining about Notre Dame, right? It was like, please do that. 
you're you're taking your media day and talking about us. Um, so yeah, I, those things don't bother me at all. And listen, among the broader leadership of college sports, our relevance isn't in doubt at all. Um, Father John has played a very significant role in a number of critical athletic decisions in college sports. I've played a role. And um, I, I think we are anything but irrelevant. For Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley and Irish Illustrated, Jack Swarbrick, thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.